You got your Bibles this morning? Come on. John chapter 1. Praise God. Thank you, Martin. Bless you, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. How many know the difference when you go to somebody's house and you're received? And they receive you and they welcome you well, right? When, some, when you go to somebody's house and they're just like, hey, come on in. We've been waiting for you. We're ready to feed you. Come on. How many like those houses when you go to visit? And they are ready and willing and, and, and waiting to welcome you into their home. I like that. And I, you know, you especially sense that if you go to the South. How many have been to the South? a few times and and you know that the welcome the hospitality my mom i grew up with that she had that mentality and when people came over she was always about having people over she's the party pastor come on <laughs> she's all she's the she's about having people over and filling the house and as many as can come over as possible and um everyone's always welcome it's awesome uh that was our house growing up but you know the difference when you come and you're received and they just take you in and they make you part of the family. And so uh, I, was, I was just listening to pastor's message last week. It was so good. Come on. That was a good word to receive Jesus. And I just want to continue in this. And, and the, the, the message this morning is receiving the king. And so looking at John chapter 1, I want to start where pastor left off. Because that morning, I love how the Holy Spirit works. That morning... I had been meditating on John chapter 1, and the Lord was just speaking to me. I had no idea what he was ministering on. How many, how many have that, had that happen before? It's the same spirit, and so if you are in tune with what the Holy Spirit's doing, he'll show you what's happening. And so that morning, I'd been meditating on that passage, and then he ministered on it. And so I felt like just continuing in that vein as we are in the Christmas season. Are you guys ready for Christmas? That was a mixed, mixed results right there. I'd say about 50-50 is what I heard. All the, all the planners were like, yes! Even in 2020, I had a plan. Yeah, we, we spent some serious time on Amazon last night. Come on. Uh, but it says in John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, it says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And pastors shared on this word received, because I think we need to understand it. It is not a passive thing. It is to grab hold of, to take as one's own, to make it your own. And so this receiving is active faith, of the believer to take in all of who Jesus is. Even as Sarah shared, the revelation of Jesus will continue to increase in your life as you continue to follow him. Come on. The revelation of who Jesus is should be growing. I want to know Jesus more today than I did yesterday, tomorrow than I did today. Come on, church. So in receiving him means knowing who he is, welcoming him in. And in Revelation, it talks to, he says that he knocks at the door. He says, behold, I knock, I stand knocking. And if you'll let me in, I'll come and sup with you. So he's, he's wanting fellowship. He's wanting to be received. And I want to I be like that person who's waiting for the guests to come over. 
Come on, Jesus, come on in. I've been waiting for you. And so there's a receiving, there's an active faith in this. And so I want to talk about receiving the king. Now turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to camp there for a little bit. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're already moving in this place, that you're speaking to us. Lord, we incline our ear to hear everything you have to say. Lord, we thank you for revelation in the knowledge of you, Father, that you are are speaking. And I pray for clarity. I pray for um, your word to just bring life to each and every person. Let it bring light and life and salvation and deliverance and healing in the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Amen. And he starts off, the prophet there in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 starts off and says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. Somebody say glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness, that was me, come on, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Praise God. And I believe God is speaking that over us. He's speaking that over the church. He's speaking that over our area, our neighbors, our region, our city. Come on. Our community. And there's been several prophetic words this morning to confirm that. That there are people who need to be set free. There are people who are living in darkness who need the light of the gospel. And so, three things this morning about receiving the king, about who he is, and that's revealed in this passage. And the first one is, he is the shining king. Come on. He is the radiant. Hebrews 1 says that he is radiant. He's the shining king. In fact, he cannot be missed. His glory is so great. His, the light of who he is dispels the darkness come on but it says here i want to give a little background in isaiah chapter 9 because it says there's no more gloom for her who was in anguish and it speaks of the land of zebulun and naphtali also in scripture was in the new testament it was the land of galilee it was that northern land of israel where jesus spent most of his time in ministry and many of his disciples came from that area. So here's what's interesting. This, and when he speaks this, the prophet had just got done declaring the judgment because this was the land, the first part of Israel to be touched by the invasion of the, the Assyrians. So they felt this invasion. They were defeated. They were being, there was deportation taking place. They were going into exile. There was judgment on the land. And the prophet takes a detour and says, yeah, this is the condition right now. But there is a future hope and glory that is coming to this land. No more gloom. Somebody say no more gloom this morning. (laughs) For her who is in anguish. And so the Assyrians were coming in, but this would be the first place, the first place that Jesus would begin his ministry was in this land, in Galilee. Awesome. 
And he says they would experience the light of Jesus' ministry. And it was in Matthew chapter 4. He's just left the wilderness experience. He's coming back. And the Bible says that he left Nazareth and went up into the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the land by the Sea of Galilee, to fulfill that which was written. So this very passage, Jesus begins to fulfill this prophecy eight, nine hundred years earlier to, to, in the beginning of his ministry. And so this same land that had been forgotten, neglected, defeated, in anguish and gloom, would be the first to see the light of Jesus' ministry. Jesus chose to start his earthly ministry in one of the darkest regions. I love that. In one of the darkest times. And I believe, how many know, we live in Seattle this is the dark season. How many? <laughs> it's the dark season. There's not much light. We are lacking light. These days are shorter. The clouds come in. Sometimes it feels like it was just dark already. And back in the days when you actually had commutes before COVID, you went to work in the dark and you came home in the dark this time of year. Tis the season, church, for vitamin D. You need some. Because you are not going to get a sufficient supply in Seattle. Come on, somebody. You need light in Seattle. But I, Seattle spiritually has also become a very dark region, and dark place. I remember when we first came here. I mean, I was pretty young, so I don't remember it that well. But I remember this common thing that visiting preachers would say, right? This is the most churchless area of the United States. And they'd come here and they would tell us, and I'm telling you, it was true. I think we might have been one of two or three Pentecostal churches in this whole area at that point. And thank God, you can just go down the 164th corridor and there's about 10 churches. That story's changing. That story's changing in Snohomish County. That story's changing in this area. I believe it. That in the midst of this darkness and in the midst of this dark place, how many, know, how many think it would be like God to come and visit and bring his glory and bring his salvation to a dark place in a dark time, just like he does here? How many can relate to this experience in your life? In the darkest place, in the darkest time, that's when the Lord met you. In your darkest pit of despair, in your darkest pit of hopelessness, when everything was lost, that's when God met you. You know, we love this show. We watch this show called I Shouldn't Be Alive. And it's these accounts of people who have, who have been in crazy situations and had to survive. And we were joking about this. You know, it's become our favorite show this year. Why? Well, so, you know, 2020 has been hard, but you get to watch a show like that and you go, but it ain't that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. These guys, I mean, there's one guy, he goes on a solo hiking trip with his dog in New Zealand in the upper heights of the, you know, way up in the mountains and he gets lost, or no, I mean, he doesn't get lost, he actually just gets, uh, he's coming back down, he's seven days, Everybody, nobody is going to be looking for him because they know he's gone seven days and he's just walking on the trail he's just walking along and slips and begins to tumble and tumble and tumble and then i kid you not 
Now, I don't know how they verify these stories, but they're pretty good. He's by himself, right? So who knows? He is falling off a 50-foot cliff and lands, shatters his pelvis, breaks all sorts of bones. This dude has internal bleeding. It's, it's awful situation for him. It's only day two. And he left his emergency beacon at home. How many know you're watching that and you're going, man, I've had a rough year, but that's not that bad. (laughs) And so he is going through this and he, he has to get down this mountain hobbling and camping and and surviving. Nine days later, this guy rolls up and gets out of this situation some miraculous way. But so often you see in these situations, they, they, they come to this dark place because it says of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali that they were under the shadow of death. An amazing thing happens when you are in a place of being near death. You begin to think about some things. How many know that? You begin to look back at your life. You begin to see, how have I made, what have I done with my life? Maybe, maybe there's some regrets. Maybe there's some things that come up as you're reflecting on your life. You think of the loved ones in your life. You think of the people who are important. You think of what matters. And so quite often what people come out of these survival situations with a whole new perspective and appreciation on what matters in life. And I know in my life, I had one experience. I was running out here, jogging one morning, and I used to listen to things on my headset and podcasts, and so, and it was really early. It was like f- six o'clock, and I'm out down by North Road and Second. You know what I'm talking about, the top of the 164th Hill. And I'm about to cross the road, and I, the light's just taking forever, and there's no cars out. It's 6 a.m. I mean, it's, I mean, maybe early, and it was probably a Saturday, so there's really no cars out. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm good. Still got my headset going. I mean, I remember when you were kids, your parents said, look twice. Well, I looked once and nearly paid a price for that. As I'm running across that road, I feel this breeze come right by me, and I hear a loud horn. I didn't see that, but I was that far from being ran over. I was very pensive the rest of that run. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I was thinking, man, whoo, I really don't have that good of a policy. (laughs) If I get hurt, did I update my will? Is my family taken care of? I mean, all these thoughts had to come. I don't know where I was going with that, but I think I'm the shadow of death. But thank God for his light in the darkest times of our life. And you may be here this morning, you find yourself in a despairing situation or hopeless situation God brings his light to those who are walking in darkness. To those who have been in a place of darkness. When you receive him as the shining king, the power of light 
it enlightens. Look at John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, there was the true light, which come, coming into the world enlightens every man. Enlightens every man, speaking of the person of Jesus. I love Simeon's response. Here was this older, mature man in the temple awaiting Jesus' arrival, led by the Holy Spirit on that day to be there in the temple. And in comes Mary to dedicate Jesus. And he gets excited, says, Master, now I'm free to go. Your salvation's here. And he says, he says this very thing. He says, in Luke 2, 32, he says, a light of revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That's what he said about Jesus. A light of revelation. You don't really see until you see the light of who Jesus is. In the light, we see the light. He is the light and the entrance of his word. He is the word who became flesh, brings light, understanding and revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. Light exposes. John 3.19, this is the judgment. Jesus said that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. The light of Christ will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and discloses the motives of our hearts. We must look within and we must ask ourselves this question. Is there guilty ignorance? Is there willful blindness? Is there hardened indifference to God and his truth? That light will expose it. Light is a disinfectant. Do you know that in the 1918 flu crisis, pandemic, many of those patients, they began to pull them out and put them in the sun. And those recovered better who were in the sun. How many know God's light brings healing? Brings cleansing. It exposes, it shows those things, but then God helps to reveal and to remove those things that need to be removed. Praise God. The proof that I have received the shining king is this, that I love the light. I love the light. And what I mean by that is having experienced the bondage of darkness, the suffering in the darkness, and the loneliness in the darkness, I now have no desire to go back to it. Come on, somebody. I've experienced the light of his salvation. He is my light and my salvation, Psalm 27 says. But I don't want to go back to that darkness. I now know it for what it was, the bondage and the loneliness and the suffering that goes with being in the dark. Secondly, I want to live in the light. I live an authentic life. Confessing sin when it arises in my life. When I become aware of sin, I confess it as 1 John 1, 9 says, Confess your sins, for he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all righteous, unrighteousness. Receiving the shining king says, I want to live in the light. I don't want to live in darkness. I don't want hidden things in my life that don't belong. Come on, somebody. No secret sin. But I want to live in fellowship with him and with my brothers and sisters in Christ in the light. 
Receiving the shining king thirdly means that I'm going to let this light shine. Even as Sarah shared this morning, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. That there is a light in you that those living in darkness, walking in darkness, need the light that is in your life. Come on, somebody. Let's go on to Isaiah 9, 3 through 5. It says, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. How crazy does that sound to these people in judgment? They're seeing their nation destroyed. They're seeing deportation. And here comes this word. And that is the purpose of prophetic ministry. Is to exhort, to edify, and to encourage to bring you up, to call you into God's purpose and plan. He said, this is my destiny and purpose and plan for this region, for this area. How many know God has a destiny and purpose and plan for this region? He wants to do something in this area, and it is always good. It is always good. I thought you'd get excited about that. But he said, they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Come on. Secondly, he's the victorious king. He's the victorious king you got to understand how profound this message is to these people who are in this present circumstances. The sadness. But he says, you will now have gladness. I said, you will now have gladness. And this is the joy unspeakable. We sang of it this morning. The joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is not a gladness or joy that is based merely on positive change in circumstances. This is a turn, an eternal joy. This is the joy of the Lord that is my strength, that I can go through it and I can still have the joy of the Lord. Come on. It can't be lost because this joy doesn't come from any earthly source. It says it comes from His presence. For in His presence there is fullness of joy. That's where I find the fullness of joy. And this is the kind of gladness that can only be compared to a people who are reaping a harvest for which they did not sow. How many like the harvest that you don't have to work for? But with Christ, this gift of salvation, this is something He achieved. He provides and we enter into it by faith and receive it. Everything we receive from the Lord has n- doesn't come because of our merit. does not become because of our work. It comes because of His grace and that alone. And that's why Paul, speaking to the Colossians, says, As you receive Him, so keep going on in Him. As you received Him. You know, it was simple when you first got saved, right? Because you knew you were a sinner. You knew it was by grace and grace alone and by faith in believing and receiving His grace. Come on, somebody. 
But then we get into this Christian thing and we start doing stuff for God and we start building a resume. Come on. And we start thinking that, well, well, God loves me because I do X, Y, and Z. No, I do X, Y, and Z because I love him. He loves me regardless. That's what pastor shared last week. My good works are proof of just are, are the result of being saved because I want to do things for my king. Come on. I want to serve my king. It speaks of a gladness of a people dividing their spoil for a victory that was obtained on their behalf. Woo. We didn't work for this victory. It's his. It's his victory. And because I'm in Christ, I step into his victory. Are you with me this morning? And I live in that place of victory. Not in a place of defeat. But in a place of victory because he's already done it, church. Saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It speaks of a gladness of a people that divide that spoil. It's like a sports team that wins the championship. Oh, my poor sounders, I'm sorry. But they win the championship. And they're in the locker room. That experience, I've not had that. I've never played on a winning team. So, (laughs) never had that. I can imagine this morning what that's like. It must be wonderful. How many know you're on the winning team? You are with the champion, the victorious king. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives. Somebody say gives gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not that we earned it, but it is given to us. Praise God. And he says the promise is that the yoke of your burden and the rod of our oppressor would be broken. Whoo! Man, when the Bible says the wages of sin are death, it's serious. You experience it. Not just physical death, but it's death in your emotions. It's death in your finances. It's death in your relationships. It's death in every part. That's what sin produces in your life. That's why the Bible says when you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. You want to understand what's happening in the United States today, you understand that scripture. There is a reaping. But it's because there was a sowing. Are you with me? little detour, sorry. But Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. The prophet speaks of the liberty and the freedom that comes to this land. Now listen, he references the battle at Midian. So for a moment, we go back to Judges chapter 7, chapter 6 and chapter 7, where God calls this man Gideon. Crazy story. Gideon's... The Midianites are coming into the land. They're stealing their crops. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And, Midian, and Gideon is hiding in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord says this, man. How many know that God sees stuff that we don't see? 
the angel of the Lord sees this man hiding in the wine press, and he says to him, he says, hey, you mighty warrior. I, you, you know what Gideon's response was? He's like, there's someone else here? I'm hiding right now. But that's the man who God calls. And then once he gets him over himself and begins to go, no, this is who you really are, Gideon. This is who I've called you to be, a deliverer in your generation. Come on, young people. A deliverer in your generation. And then he says, I'm going to have you build an army. And he builds this army and he gets to 10,000. He says, nope, it's still too many. And I'm sure Gideon's having this conversation. He's saying, Lord, there are 100,000 Midianites. This doesn't look good. I don't like the 10 to 1 ratio. And he says, no, we're going to break this down. And when he finally gets down to the remnant army, there's 300. 300 to face 100,000. It gets crazier. Then he says, go down to their camp and you bring your pitchers and your torches and your trumpets. And you're like, where's the weapons, God? <laughs> Last I checked, we're going to have to take them out. No, he says, no, this, this victory will not be of your efforts. But it'll be me. They each take their station, and at the time, they break their pitchers, that light is revealed, and they trumpet, and they shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And all of a sudden, Midian, these guys are taken asleep, and they wake up, chaos. They start killing each other off. Woo! Complete and total victory. That's what's referenced here. A battle that was complete and total victory, not because of the strength of flesh, but because of the Lord who fought on their behalf. That's the gladness we can walk in. Come on. That's the victorious king. That's who we serve. Colossians 2.15 says, when he had, speaking of Christ's complete spiritual victory that he would bring about, through his life and death and resurrection. It says, when in, it says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. God made a public display of these spiritual authorities. They're already defeated. Come on. That's the victory we have in Christ. The question is, do we believe it? And he speaks here of a time that is to come, the millennial kingdom, when the war is completely over. How many know that day is coming? The war is over. Instead of constant war, Isaiah gives us a picture of the end of all war that comes with the culmination of the end times, when the king comes and he establishes his kingdom on earth. How many know that day is coming? I hope we're living in an awareness and in a readiness for it. That no matter what happens in this life, in this world, in this land, in our country, in this time that we live in, we have an eternal hope that goes beyond it. He's the shining king. He's the victorious king. Then look at verses 6 through 7. I'm almost done. For a child shall be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. 
Now, I know you, some of you quoted that in a kid's play at some point or another. I did. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And here's the best part. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The reigning king. He is the reigning king. How many thought for... Think how crazy this is that God's answer to everything that terrorizes us is a child. The parents are going, whoa. I've been terrorized by children. Yeah. But everything that has tormented, everything that has terrorized us comes in a baby boy. I hope you think about that for a moment, that God became flesh. He actually dwelt in a womb. God made, did not consider it robbery, it says in Philippians 2. He became flesh. That reality, that revelation should leave us in awe. He was dependent in a mother's womb. He kicked, he did all that stuff. I'm sure. I don't know how much he kicked. I'm sure he was ready to get out of there like our boy was. Man, he was in a hurry. So he says, the government resting on his shoulders. I want you to see something. Are you willing to... There's a lot of controversy over voting and counting votes but i want to take a vote this morning will you elect him to govern your life we rejoice in his light and salvation his victory and the spoils thereof but many stop there and do not receive his government his government you see we were we are not capable of governing our own lives We're not. Not on our own. We're not. We try to make decisions often and then we ask God to bless our decisions. It's not Jesus incorporated. It's Jesus all in all. It's my life for His. It's me coming under the king's rule in every part of my life. Because the areas that are not under his rule become strongholds where the enemy has access. And I love this verse in Isaiah 33, 22, describing, it says, this is the, the declaration for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Just a side note, did you know the founders used that to establish the three branches of government? The judicial, the legislative, and the executive branch of God's government. And they're all in agreement. He doesn't have to check himself before he wrecks himself. Come on. He's in agreement. He's in perfect agreement. And his government, when we are under it, 
We are in a safe place. We are in a blessed place. We are in a place where we can, we can experience the light of His glory. We can experience His victory. Amen? We aren't fit to govern our own lives. This is, and this is the example. When the ba- that baby grows up, and he's in the world, his testimony is this. The son can do nothing of himself. I'm not here on my own initiative. I only speak what I hear the father speaking. I only do what I see the father doing. That's the son's testimony. To reveal to us what the life of dependency looks like. My life in Christ is one of increasing dependency. See, as a parent, you watch your kid grow up and they're getting more independent and you want to help them and they don't want your help. But God wants us to become more and more dependent on him each and every day. And Jesus, living his life, revealed it in how he lived. I can do nothing on my own initiative. And he says in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then we'll finish with this. Time does not allow me to elaborate this way. This needs to be elaborated. But he says, His name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, He's the counselor. I don't know where you go for counsel, but I hope you start with him. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 33, 10 and 11 says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. So his counsel doesn't change at the whims of society's trends. Come on. His counsel stands from one generation to the next. The plan of his heart from one generation to the next. Thirdly, he is mighty God. That child would grow up and walk in submission to the Father and reveal the power and the might of God. That baby would do miracles. Come on, somebody. That baby would heal the blind. That baby would raise the dead. He's, in Luke 149, this is Mary's response. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Fourthly, he's eternal father. As our father, he guides, he provides, he loves And this child would grow, and his purpose on earth would be to reveal the Father. To reveal the Father. He's having this conversation with Philip in chapter 14 of the book of John. He says, if you had known me, you would have known the Father. He lived to make known the Father. If you had known me, you would know the Father. And Philip's like, well, show us the Father. Come on, Jesus. And Jesus, I don't know how he didn't get exasperated, but he probably did. He said, Philip, I've been with you this whole time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. So he revealed the eternal Father. He is the Prince of Peace, finally. And that peace is a peace that only comes 
through reconciliation with him that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Come on. It only comes, it's the kind of peace that comes in the midst of the storms of life that this world can't understand. It's the kind of peace that can be in your heart and in your mind to such a degree that the Bible calls it a peace that surpasses your understanding. I don't get it, but I have peace. I don't understand how I can be in the midst of this circumstance and this situation in my life, but I have peace right now because of my God who is the Prince of Peace. It's the peace that reigns in our hearts. And I'm finishing with this. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let it rule. And this word rule is like an umpire. You need to let God's peace call the balls and strikes. Let God's peace rule. Because then you know when there's no peace, I don't move. I'm not, wait, I'm not moving until I have the peace of God. I'm not going in this, that direction until I have the peace of God because I'm allowing the Prince of Peace to govern my life. And he says, of his government, there'll be, there'll be incre- his government will increase. There'll be no end of his kingdom and of his what? Peace. So to live under that peace, I come under the reigning king's government. Can we stand to our feet tonight, this morning? I don't know what time it is. It's dark outside, I told you. I just know we're in a season where not only is it physically dark, but there are many living in spiritual darkness. There's many living in despair and and lack of hope. But I just believe God this morning wants you to know that He is your light, your salvation, your hope to not give up. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's eternal Father. He is the Prince of Peace. That's who our God is. Father, we just thank you this morning. Lord, we want to receive you as the shining king. You are the light of the world. God, you bring your light in and you bring you expose, but you enlighten and you, Lord, you cleanse us. that your light has shined on those who are walking in darkness. And many of us here this morning stand as a testimony of that. We've seen your light. We've received your light and your salvation. You've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And because of that, God, we live for your praise, for your glory, for your honor. We're so grateful this morning for your light, that you save us, that you deliver us. We're thankful this morning that you are the victorious king. You chose to come and humble yourself as a baby. And so in this season, we celebrate your coming. But as Paul prayed, Lord, you said, 
He prayed that, I pray that Christ be formed in you. And we are called, Lord, you said, to be conformed to your image. As our victorious king, we thank you, Lord, for that we can enter in this morning into your victory, God. Lord, if anyone's been in a place of defeat, feeling downtrodden and in despair this morning, I pray, Lord, that they would have a revelation of the victorious king, that you've defeated all the powers of darkness, that you've nailed them to the cross. You made a public display of them, God. You are victorious and you reign and you always lead us in victory when we will choose to follow you. We thank you this morning that you reign. God, and we declare with your word there will be no end to the increase of your government or of peace, Lord. And Lord, we declare, let it start in us, God. Lord, we surrender and submit and we bow to you, King of Kings, in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives, God. If there's any areas this morning, King, in which you don't reign, Father, we thank you and we give it to you, Lord. We we bow before you this morning and submit and surrender to you. Have our all. We give you our all, King of Kings and Lord of Lords.